Roberts was able to to help you guys out. But um, yeah, we're still in the book of James. You went through you went through verses um, eighteen through twenty, right? That's correct. Okay. So yeah, the James, uh, I'll just do a little quick review before we get to the, the thing that makes this book really famous, the passage is the, that we're going to get into. Um, so James is Jesus' brother, uh, writing in the early 40s, you know, not too long after Jesus' ministry, and it's a wisdom letter. Um, it, it coincides with a lot of uh, Proverbs in the Old Testament, and it's written in aphorisms, which are like proverbial statements and when I uh when I gave you all the definition of wisdom the first week um it was in my study bible and I was trying to memorize it off top of my head but I have a I have a better definition for you if you want to write it down it kind of will go with what we're talking about today um and you know wisdom is dynamic this isn't the only definition but it's a it, it is um can help us understand practically but wisdom is God-given insight into his will and the desire to do it. God-given insight into his will and the desire to do it. And of course, the main way we get that is through scripture. You know, we, we study his word. Uh, but also in James, we see that it's situational. When James says, if anyone asks wisdom... He's talking about wisdom and situation, life situations that God will give it to you. God's given us his word. So James is talking about something. Uh, he's talking about in day to day life. So you have the wisdom of his revealed will in scripture, but also just the wisdom of day to day living, which is essentially we're going to see walking by the spirit is, is what he's getting at. So, James, the passage we're going to dive into is. The the passage that has basically made this book one of the most the con- most controversial book during the Reformation. We're going to we're going to be looking at chapter two, um, verses 14 to 26 today. And this is the the passage that talks about faith without works is dead. And um, so this passage is infamous in that. Um, if you look down, can somebody read um, chapter two, verse twenty-four? I have the ESV; it's a good one. But if a lot of them, I think, say the same thing. Go ahead, Mike. In the ESV, <clears throat> you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. So there it is. Class is done. We <laughs> says it right in scripture. So the problem with this is the whole Reformation was based on the idea that you're justified by faith alone. So this is where the big contention came in because Catholics were saying, look, right here in Scripture, it says you're not justified by faith alone. And this is the reason that we, you know, we were hinting at, that Luther called it a gospel of straws uh, during this um, main time because you know, he was like, it totally goes against the rest of Scripture. He was, he was even saying that it might not be in canon, but uh, shouldn't be in canon. But, um, you know, he later relented. And we're going to look at it today and try to understand this passage because it totally, that's totally against everything 
that else that we see in scripture and everything that the Reformation was based on. But once we, there's a way to reconcile it. And, and, you know, the arguments used to be, you know, people who uh, qualify the gospel, you know, and Catholics, they would say, see, works do save you. You know, you need works to be saved and justified. <clears throat> and this is the big proof text for that. But we, as Orthodox believers, we, we, we know that it's actually not contradiction. The Holy Spirit's not contradicting himself and giving us this passage. So it's something that we're going to have to wrestle through and see. So um, let me read it, and then uh, we'll kind of dissect it. Something. This is the ESV um, going 14 through 26. What good is it, brothers? My brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now, one of the issues when we look at verse 24 is that Paul uses that same form of righteousness. So in um, you see where it says in verse 24, the justification, uh, the same Greek word, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. That's the same exact word that Paul uses in Romans. So it eliminates the idea that there's two different ideas. It's diakasu. Uh, I'm so rusty on my Greek. You know, Pastor Roberts? It's dikaiotai. Dikaiotai, yeah. That's verse Yeah. And it's the same one. Um, I'll just look at... Uh, let's see. So one of the passages that kind of goes off of this is Romans 4. And all through this passage, Paul is um, using the same um, the same form of faith. So uh, I'm not going to read the whole passage just yet. We may come back. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Um, so right there... We, we eliminate the idea that James is talking about a different idea. But 
like I said, us as Orthodox believers, we know that there's a synthesis. There's got to be some kind of um, synthesizing here. And I think what the crux is with James is the whole purpose of this book being in the scriptures is the practical living out of your faith. Because the reality is, is that faith is what justifies us. You are not justified by anything else, your works, your obedience, anything. That's the reality of the gospel. That's what separates Christianity from every other thing. This is what this new thing that was coming is that justification is by faith alone. If we read in the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter six, um, the first two articles there, um, let me just read those. And um, uh, part one says, those whom God effectually calls, he also freely justifies, not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins and by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone, nor by imputing faith itself, the act of believing or any other evangelical obedience to them as their righteousness, but by imputing the obedience and satisfaction of Christ unto them, they receiving and resting on him and his righteousness by faith, which faith they have not of themselves, it is a gift of God. So this is what we believe, that faith alone is what saves us, right? But that faith is never alone. Will somebody change, um, will somebody look at Galatians 2? Um, let's see, actually, let's go to Galatians 5, 6 first. I think that's where I want it. If somebody has that, if they would read that for us. Yeah. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. And then 614, if somebody has that. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And 15 too, I'm sorry. Neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Yep. So, so we look at that, and then we look at James, and James, they're, this is basically... I'm trying to get you to see where they're basically saying the same thing. What James is getting at when he gives us this Abrahamic illustration towards the end, that is way past the circumcision illustration that Paul uses in in Romans 4. Romans 4 is the big counter passage that a lot of people refer to when working with James 2. And in that, Paul says that was um, he's talking about Abraham's circumcision as an act of faith. And Paul says that he was justified before he ever did the act of circumcision. So, and then you come to James and James is given the illustration of where he goes to sacrifice Isaac, which is much later. 
And he's saying that that work is what demonstrated his faith, right? Well, all James is doing is he is framing, he is just, he's, he's framing it to show you the validation of the faith that saves them. James is basically, I think, moving backwards, whereas Paul is giving us the heart of it, right? So in the second part of the Westminster Confession of Faith, keep in mind the two passages with Galatians that we just read. This is what it says. Faith, thus receiving and resting on Christ and his righteousness, is the alone instrument of justification. Yet is it not alone it, yet it is not alone in the person justified, but is ever accompanied with all other saving graces, and is no dead faith, but works by love. Christ, by his obedience and death, did fully charge the debt of those that he elected. What chapter was that from the confession? Six. Six, six, one and two is the chapter on justification. So, yeah. Um, so what it, everything that we've been going through in James is, again, is written for believers. When we go through these passages, James is instructing believers how to work out their faith. So... There is, it, it, it can be tough to reconcile, but it's really not, um, it's, it's, once you get the concept of what's going on, James is just putting flesh on your faith, right? Um, any questions or ideas or thoughts? Because this really does throw off a lot of people because we say God's word's inspired and then you know, you have basically a seemingly clear verse that tells you <clears throat> that you're not justified by faith. <laughs> throws, throws off a lot of people that you might not suspect. Yeah. Like John Piper. Yeah. You know, he has this final justification. Mm. <clears throat> or final salvation thing. Yeah. And so your works are mixed in just like Roman Catholic. Yeah. And that's, that's a dangerous concept. And it's tricky, you know, pastorally, you know, Pastor Roberts may have some insight because, I mean, the reality is, is that we are saved by faith. That's the beauty of the gospel. Like, you, you know, this is the this is the thing that it's all Christ, the whole Reformation, sola fide, sola grace, sola grace, sola by God, sola Christos. It's all his work. And, and, and when you get into the ordo salutis and order of salvation, these are, it, it's not necessarily um, linear time-wise, but this is the work that Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is doing in your life. And it's all grace. But the reality is, is that um, that, that, that faith is alive. So we live in a day and age, particularly, um, you know, and, and particularly one of the big proponents and person who, was the catalyst for this Billy Graham, this idea that you can um, you can say a prayer and become a Christian instantly uh, as almost like a type of like legal transaction. I heard a counselor one time, I heard him giving a speech and uh, he was a secular counselor and uh he was with a group, I think it was in a prison. He was talking about, I was like, hey, 
I don't know if this Christian thing's real or not, but what's, I mean, what's the worst thing? You could say a prayer, get your card stamped and be taken care of. <laughs> and that's the mentality that James is going against, right? But this is what I'm getting at in James is that James is a book that teaches us to walk by the spirit, even though it's heavy on works. The works are not something that we um, that we garter up in ourselves, right? The works are a gift of God. Ephesians tells us, um, I didn't write that verse down, but I think it's in Ephesians 3, Ephesians 4. He says, God prepared the works beforehand that we should walk in them. So every, the whole Christian life is a life of grace. And so is, are there any questions? I know it's, it may not be the clearest, but these things, do, do you see that? James is getting us the practical outworking of faith, because if you have, if a, a, a faith that is alive is going to have works. That's what James is saying. On the other hand, those works are literally clearly irrelevant when it comes to your justification. So synthesizing those can be tricky, particularly pastorally. But your obedience, your works, those aren't the things that save you, right? And, and that's clear to understand because if you are saved um, by works, then basically nullifies Jesus' crucifixion. And there's all kinds of theological ordeals because you start going down that slippery slope that, yeah, these works I'm going to work walk in. And they add to my justification. The gospel is so radical that, you know, the faith is what saves you. However, that faith catalyzes or, or ignites you to live for Christ. So, um, where was it? So, so it's like um, there's so many passages that we could go through, but it's like this. If you understand what Jesus has done for you. If as believers, which I believe we all here, we have that experience. This 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 becoming a Christian is not just some thing that you tack on. Right. It's not something that you say, yeah, I got my stamp checked. I said I believe in Jesus at the conference. so I'm good. When the spirit enlivens you which is a part of the order of salvation. He changes your heart of your dead heart to an alive heart. He changes your heart of stone to a living heart. When that happens, there is a radical change in your thinking. So I became a Christian when I was a week before I turned 22 is when I really knew. I thought I was, a, I tried in my own power for years to try to walk with it. And I remember, um, the weeks following this drastic conversion, I started, I was reading the Bible, you know, on and off since I was like 17. But I remember, I think first Peter was one of the first books I was reading and I was reading this book and I had read it before, but I was, it, it changed me in ways. I, I, I saw things I never saw before because that is what happens when you become alive. So it's just really, really what we're getting at is that you're just alive or dead. And if you're alive, you're going to do what living people do, which is 
work out their salvation, walking with Jesus to the best of their ability <clears throat> or to whatever measure of grace um, God has given you. Um, so Jesus talks about living water, for example, in the Gospels. That's the idea, <clears throat> I think, that James is kind of fleshing out. When, you've had, when, G, when God has transformed you from the inside out, there's going to be his presence, his power in you is going to be doing something. Does that make sense? So that, I think, is what James is getting at. It's not the idea that you must get to work to earn your justification. It's the idea that you want to, it's your honor, it's your privilege to get to work. So that is the mark of someone who's been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. So a lot of this is like salvation stuff, but does that make sense? It's not a legal thing. The law has done. Like Christ, Christ fulfilled the law. The law now is our guide. Um, anybody have anything to say? Or yeah. It's puzzling to me, frankly, that anybody would have an issue with what James writes in light of what Jesus Himself says, as recorded all through the Gospels. Yeah. I can only conclude one reason for that may be that um, some people never study the Gospels or not that much. They focus only on the epistles. Yeah. Um, but we've already seen in our study of John, and we're going to see it again today, the constant refrain of Christ is, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Yeah. That's it in a nutshell. Yeah. You, can, you, you demonstrate that you are justified yeah. by the fact that you are now doing the things yeah. that he wants you to do and that you have a desire to do it. So. Yeah. And, and you know, Pastor, that's where it's tricky because, you know, like, like I really think it's it, ultimately it's true that only you know the true nature of your relationship with God. And Paul even tells us that I don't even judge myself. I just basically lean on Christ and try to do what I'm supposed to do. Because once you get into counting fruits, that could really turn you into what James is arguing against here. If you go around trying to measure everybody's fruit instantly, the fruit that we produce sometimes is not going to come about. Sometimes it's quick, you know, sometimes the fruit you produce is quick. Say, for instance, you decide to go in and rob a bank, <coughs> rob a gas station. That person's armed. They defend themselves and take your life. That's a fruit you reaped pretty quickly. The fruit within your family, the fruit within your church can take decades, can take years, can even not be <clears throat> exposed until the day of judgment. That's putting your head down and walking each day with Christ. So when we get into this is what James is getting at. <clears throat> we our responsibility is to work out our faith. And this is what the Westminster Confession says. This is what Paul says in Galatians. Nothing matters except faith working itself out through love. Your duty is to love God with your whole heart, mind, body, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the whole summation of the law. That is what James is getting at. If you're a believer, and he's not getting at that you're going to do it perfect, because in the coming chapters, he says, if you can bridle your tongue, you're perfect. But guess what? No human being in their own power can bridle their tongue. So he's not getting at walk perfectly or this. He's saying walk in the spirit 
through love. Did you have something, Josh? How does that... <clears throat> so in essence, you're saying we're not to judge each other's fruit, right? Um, Do I have that right? Yeah, I mean, you don't, that's not, you don't want to, you, you, you do. We're told that you'll know them by their fruits. Yeah. Jesus elsewhere says that, you know, we're, we're we're to make judgments, but whenever we make judgments, we're to make right judgments. Yeah. So So I don't think. Hypocritical judgments. Yeah. I mean, you judge, but I don't think that's your first instinct. Yeah. Judging and knowing. Yeah. Yeah. Judging, so walking, so judging, I mean, you always, like a false teacher, wolf, you know, those fruits pretty evident. Because Paul gets at it in Galatians, what are the fruit of the flesh? Division, discord, uh, love, you know, idolatry, fornication, these things. If these things are starting to become prevalent in a person's life, that's fruit that you see. So that you act accordingly. You either like excommunicate them from the church or if you're a believer, you don't associate with them. That's what Paul says in Corinthians. But the idea that you go around, we don't, the person, this is what Jesus gets at. You who have a plant, a log in your own eye, why do you go around trying to take the speck out of your brother's eye? Jesus is getting at, look, your main concern is yourself first, the nature of your own heart. And if that's the that's the first thing when you when you get when you take the log out of your own eye, yes, you can judge rightly. But again, who 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 does it perfectly? So it's wisdom, you know. Like in your life, you're not going to associate with people who bear bad fruit. And within the church, um, you know, there's there's discipline to handle bad fruit. Does that make sense? I mean, judging isn't the natural disposition of a Christian. I don't. Th- I mean, you you don't. You're discerning, but your relationship to a person is like Paul says: speak ill of no man. You know, he doesn't say the most the most like that dastardly person. Paul says: speak ill of no man. Jude gives the example of the archangel Michael. He's talking to arrogant false teachers. And he's telling these false teachers, these people go around boasting and blaspheming other human beings when not even the archangel Michael said a bad word against Satan when he was coming to get Moses's body. He said, the Lord rebuke you. So the disposition of a Christian is one of trust, you know, so I just there's faith and wisdom and discernment for sure. But working that out as part of, you know, walking in the Christian life. Does that make sense? You got something? Yeah, this justification is a core issue of Christianity to me. Yeah. And, you know, it caused the Reformation. Yeah. And it's still, you know, uh, it still provides the division that we have with with yeah. the Catholics and others. That we, yeah. I mean, you, you believe God did everything or you do everything or... Yeah. Is it a synergy? Yeah. Synergism. Yeah. Synergy. Yeah. And so you work with God for yourself. Yeah. Justification. So the law, if you could be, so does anybody know? I think it's, so Paul talks about 
If a, per, if a, a person is a slave, it's his duty to do good works. If a person is an heir, it's his, basically, responsibility to do good works. Um, so the, this, is what, this is what separates true religion, which is not the religion in the carnal sense that Paul gets at, like in Colossians and Galatians, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. All these have the appearance of godliness, but they are powerless when it comes to true righteousness because true righteousness is spirit-filled righteousness that comes from God. John Owen's Mortification of Sin is a book that will make you question if you're a believer as you go through it. The book is, I mean, the book's convicting. It's almost like you're going through James, um, but he's given like modern days. He wasn't telling you, you know, this is what Christians live. But then his whole crux of that is that the gospel is what fuels this righteous life. And that gospel is utterly grace. Like it's a gift. So whenever you attack grace, um, you know, it can be abused. But Paul was accused of abusing it. I mean, Paul was accused of antinomianism. The gospel fuels you, and true believers aren't going to abuse it. You know, they may at times, but this is the this is what I'm saying. Our our concern mainly is our own walk. Should be as the Christian, our our relationship with the Lord, and um, living that out. You know, and there's all kinds of caveats in life where we have to, you know. Um, make judgments and, you know, excommunicate people. Not Paul says if they're, he says, if you do, do not associate with anybody who's a swindler, drunkard, idolater. But he says, hey, I'm not talking about people in the world. I'm talking about people who bear the name brother. That right there is a judgment because you're judging their fruit. And the Bible tells us not to associate with them. But I think what James, when we're looking at in James, is just fleshing out the horizontal and the vertical in a lot of these aphorisms. Um, So there's a couple of pitfalls that we'll just look at. We're almost done. So the pitfalls that um, James actually has within this um, is on the one side... um, this like Gnostic idea that's in Christianity that you that you go to a church, you listen to a song that says the same line 30 times. You have this emotional experience. They give you one verse out of context and you're just feeling emotional throughout the week. This Gnostic idea that that is relationship with Jesus because you feel good or I know my Jesus. Right. So James is getting at that's not how this works. Your faith is going to be worked out um, by loving others and living according to God's will that he's given you through his word and, you know, in day to day situations, because that's essentially what the Proverbs are in the Old Testament. And a lot of this here. So there's not so in church today, there's this idea that. You can have a relationship with God that you can know how to live the Christian life apart from Scripture a lot. Uh, 
one of the in my neighborhood and I know him and I get his emails every week. He's one of the he's a pastor at a mega church here and uh, they're doing a series now um, that's supposed to be about Jesus at the center. But when you listen to the message or you look at the message, it's basically, you know, therapy or what some call moral therapeutic deism. You've got to get those, um, you've got to get those, uh, you got to break those barriers out of your life, you know, that are hindering you. So it's all in relation to you. And it's a form of Gnosticism. Um, but we all struggle with that on one end because James gets at the other end. If, if, uh, if you look, what is it? Um, in 219, he says, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So this is what I'm getting at. We live this Christian life. The other, pit, the other pitfall is we're brought up in a Christian home. We're in a Bible-believing church. We know the Bible really well. And we know everything that it says. And we have this Gnostic idea like we really are God's super special chosen people. This is the other pitfall. And we go around arrogantly in our hearts condemning those or maybe not even openly but we have this idea that we're the super special christians because of knowledge pentecostals do it because they speak in tongues that's form of gnosticism but james is saying the demons know god and they shudder and we arrogantly over here walk around like we're special, you know, that's what we, we're special because uh, we have rich people in our church. We're special because we follow the law so well. And James is saying, again, the crux of what James is getting at is humility. And that humility fleshed out in your vertical relationship with God, that you love him with everything, your whole heart, mind, body and soul. And then your horizontal relationship. Because the Christian life is totally, radically different from every other system. That's why so many people who aren't believers, they latch on to Jesus. They'll say, oh yeah, Jesus is, I call myself a Christian, because his teachings are totally revolutionary. Especially like the Sermon on the Mount, turning the cheek, giving something when somebody asks for you walking a mile, the Good Samaritan, all these things are radically different from every other religion because the, so this is where he's getting at impartiality. The world views everything as how it's going to benefit me. When, you're in a, when you see a person, when you meet a person at a party, you're sizing them up, will my relationship benefit me? My wa- Lindsay, when we first got married, she nannied for a family. The woman was a doctor whose family was a wealthy business family. The husband uh, was the son of one of the founders of Intel. And uh, we were invited to a party because Lindsay basically became part of the family. And I was talking to, <laughs> I was talking to the wife's father and uh, he was getting, a, you know, talking to him. And I was doing my comic book business in that seminary at the time at this party. And as soon as I told him comic books, he basically shut the conversation down and walked away. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> he had just determined that my time wasn't worth this person. So that's how the world operates. Christians are not like that. We're not judging what this person can do for me. We're not judging what this relationship is going to benefit me, what kind of financial game. We're judging this person. Um, are they a brother? Could they be a brother or sister? You know, we're, we're, we're judging them on their benefit. And it's totally radical because the world is what I can get out of it. And Christianity is what I can. How can I love this person? Faith, working it out, self out through love. That's what Paul says in Galatians. And that's essentially what James is getting at here. Any questions? We're, we're out of time. Does that make sense, though? It's just, you know, it's. It's not that contradictory. James, I think, is just trying to put flesh on it. And he's, um, you know, the Christian life is hard, especially in this age of information, because, you know, you're you're getting bombarded with all kinds of things that want to take away from the jewel of justification, ultimately. And it's dangerous because, you know, licentiousness is an issue, too, because, you know, grace can be abused. And that's why Paul says numerous times, he's like, shall we sin that grace may abound? By no means. The true believers can't continue very long in sin anyway. They may go for years with sin. They can, sadly, but they're not joyful. They're miserable because they're grieving the the spirit. So, um yeah, James is just helping us personally. And there's, you know, just helping us work out our faith, you know. So, thank y'all.